Welcome to a new episode of Pablo Held Investigates, my podcast where I talk to my musical heroes and peers about their creative process. In today's episode, I get to talk to Ben Solomon. Ben is an incredible saxophonist, and I first heard about him when I was checking out the albums by Wallace Roney, mainly uh, Understanding and um, A Place in Time, I think. And I was immediately struck by his musicality, his sound, his energy, and his ideas, and mainly his love for the music. That was in fact my only note that I needed for this conversation. I wrote down, Ben Solomon, love. You know, sometimes you can see when somebody's in love. Just people walking down the street, you can see when somebody's in love. And with Ben, I can hear it, that he's in love with his music. So that was uh, something I needed to talk to him about, his view on the music of John Coltrane and what he could learn from it and what his process was of going so deep, you know. I think this was a great conversation and I'm really happy that I can share this now with you. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to this channel and leave a comment or tell your friends to check it out. It really helps me. If you would like to support the podcast even more, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash pabloheld. I'm sharing exclusive content with my patrons, behind-the-scenes stuff, online hangouts, listening sessions. Also, all my patrons get a discount on the Investigation Notes notebook. You can get it on my Bandcamp page. It has staff paper. And you can write down uh, all the things you don't want to forget and that you find inspiring. All right, I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm glad that we can all learn together from Ben Solomon. John Coltrane will be a topic that will come up very often in our conversation. Yeah. And it's basically, you know, the first thing that comes to mind when I hear you is love. Hmm. Um, somebody who is in love with somebody. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, and I hear the same thing when I hear Wallace Roney or you know. Yeah. Um, I hear the same thing when I'm hearing Tony Williams or you know. I'm hearing somebody who is so curious about somebody else. Because that's what's happening. That's what hap what's happening when we fall in love. We we want to know everything about a person. You know. Wow. And that's oh, what I hear when I when I listening when I listen to you because and um I I think the top the topic is obvious, you know, for some people um going deep on on on, on a subject on a on a on an artist can sometimes have the um the difficulty or the the trap of becoming a clone or, you know, there's a, the whole cliche of becoming a clone or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I think people are very, very uh, quick to judge somebody and to put them in a box because everybody, you know, the, the majority of the people listen on the, only on the surface, right? And they yeah. listen also to, to other people on the surface, like, okay, that's my idea of that guy. That's my idea of that. That's just, this is how that guy sounds. But you know, just listening to somebody once doesn't really give you an idea. Usually, you know, 
hmm. at least that's how I feel. You know, you have really have to invest in somebody and to, to go deep with everything you have to, you know, start getting some sort of idea. And yeah. I usually, I, I really appreciate it when somebody goes deep on a subject and when I'm, when I'm hearing what somebody's working on, when I'm, when I'm hearing that somebody is really uh, investing. When I talked to Wallace, he talked also about Emilio. And um, yeah. I think you, you saw the, the conversation. Uh, I think what he said, his words were, you sure you want to go all the way? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> and usually nobody goes all the way, you know? I mean, yeah. It's only a few. Well, that's what Wallace was all all about, you know. Or that's that's one of the things he talked a lot about um to people in his band like why hold back, you know? Why why just kind of do it, do what you want. Like just don't give up and just, you know, pursue that to its total end, you know? Yeah. And I think that's why, um, yeah, like, that's that explains a lot about him and his music, I think. It's his determination and, and a lot of focus. Mm. And, and from seeing Wallace play countless, countless times on uh, gigs and, like, being next to him as he's playing that's one of the things i remember really clearly is like how focused he is when he plays mm. um in a way that i think most people just can't can't focus that hard mm. um or or they don't want to or you know I, I don't know what the reason is but wallace is so focused um and i think coltrane is like that like mm. utterly focused, like there's nothing else no. um, that's just total commitment to that one idea or those ideas, you know. So um, that's something really inspiring. Yeah, that I get from uh, when I think about Wallace, and it's a very intangible thing. It's hard to. It's hard to just do that, I think. Like, Did you talk yeah. to him about it? Um, about that specifically? Yeah, being focused. Huh. I'm not sure we did, actually. Um, we talked about a lot of things. Sometimes, um, I don't know what I remember talking to Wallace a lot about was like different different albums and different like recordings and him um he had great stories like great recollections of yeah. all the people he played with um and that was really really cool to hear and um he had a great sense of humor too mm. like a lot of uh funny stories or you know kind of jokes um anything that comes to mind oh god well um well there was kind of this running joke about me stealing other people's food or eating <laughs> <laughs> um which had happened like happened on the 
process of traveling, you know, we're like eating somewhere and I would want to try his, his food or, or maybe we were in a hotel room and he ordered food and I was ended up in his hotel room. And then I was there and I was, Hey, can I have some food? You know? But then I, I ended up eating like all of it <laughs> or <laughs> I ended up a lot of it. So it was, it was just a funny, like joke, you know, that, you know, be careful about Ben, you know, he'll, he might eat your, your <laughs> chicken or whatever, whatever you ordered. Um, but that's just, that's just one funny thing. A lot of, sure. a lot of little things like that. Um, yeah, good memories. <laughs> mm. What was your first memory of playing in that band with Wallace? Playing with Wallace. Um, I guess the first time I played with Wallace, I sat in with his band. Um, that was really cool. I think that might have been the... That might have been the first time I met him. Oh, no, I met him at a rehearsal before that. This is, this is like, let me see. This is like in 2011 when I met Wallace. So, um, wow, and I met Antoine, too, around that time. Mm -hmm. I think I met, yeah, I met Antoine first. And I went over to Antoine's house and talked to him. And he played me some recordings. And uh, we played a little bit together. Um, and then the first, let's see, the first gig I did with Wallace, I'm trying to remember what, might have been in New Haven in May of 2011, May or June. Anyway, I was really, really young and really uh, like green, inexperienced. So, um, that gig, I, I remember feeling like totally uh, wrapped up in the energy of that band. Mm. And when he, when he would play, uh, always, always, always the first tune was this, uh, Metropolis. It's, uh, one of Wallace Roney original song. He would always open up with that tune. It's really fast. Yeah. And the energy is just crazy. And I remember kind of being like taken out of my off my feet or like kind of like just blasted with the whole energy of the band and Wallace. It was like overwhelming. It was, Oh my God, mm -hmm. you know, and then I had to play, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. and did you uh, know this song before or did you show you? The, I think the I, le music? I learned it. I think I learned, I had to learn it by ear. Yeah. Um, or maybe there was a chart with like chords on it, but a lot of this stuff, uh, we, I would like learn it in a rehearsal. Um, but I, I remember Yeah, I didn't I didn't know the song that well on the first gig and um and the energy was just crazy and I felt like how how can I keep up with this, you know? Mm. So it was a long learning curve. Like I think it took a while for me to feel comfortable because the band the, that that band was so high level. Right. Uh such a what, high level playing. What kind of so things insert. helped you to to become more adjusted? Or was it just the process of playing it again and again? Yeah, I think that uh, playing again and again. And, and Wallace would give me, like, pointers, you know. Like, he would tell me, you know, 
you got to work on your pacing out time, you know, just get it more solid. Mm -hmm. And, or he'd say, stop. Like, I remember one of the first things he said, don't play too many short little phrases. Like, cause at that time I, I, I was playing, and he was like, no, like play a longer idea and then yeah. break it up with shorter things. Don't just play short things. Cause it, doesn't make sense you know <laughs> so mm. um there's just like little pointers like that but um but that were really important uh, useful good things to know and work on and he, mm. he would also i remember one of the first things he would do like we would talk even before i was in his band he would call me and say hey check out this solo check out wayne Shorter's solo on Thelon brune oh yeah um He's like, listen to that solo, and he'd say, check out, check out what he's doing, you know, and think about how you can incorporate that into your play. And I was 18, I was like on the phone with Wallace Roney, like, okay, <laughs> like, yes, sir. Sure. Like, <laughs> and like, I, I hadn't heard that, you know, I hadn't heard Philon. I didn't know all these like uh, Miles records and stuff, so it was like so eye opening oh, yeah. for me. And um, that was great. Like, that's the best. Uh, yeah, great, great learning experience that I could have at that time. Yeah. yeah. Can you maybe go into your process of taking apart that solo? Because it's such a it, that's such an amazing solo. Um, but it's hard to transcribe. You know, it's a hard hard uh, solo also. Yeah, I don't think I don't think I ever did transcribe it, really. I would listen to it. The biggest thing I wanted was to have that that sound, the really that kind of sound quality, and mm. the just like really. Uh, it's hard to explain, but like a a really bright sound, mm -hmm. but not it's not thin bright, but like st strength, yeah, and brightness, which um, which you also hear. It also like Coltrane has that kind of strong, bright sound that like is really, really cool, really mm. um, special. But yeah, Wayne has his own different version of that. Um, but I, I, to me, they're kind of related. Yeah. But I think for that solo, I think I don't know. I couldn't. I couldn't break it down for you, like piece by piece but i think the way the way the phrases work the way he breaks up the phrases with gestures you know and then there's time you know there's like kind of like yeah. what i was saying like eighth note time like place some time and then gestures like that are not as uh you know quantum things that aren't yeah, quantized they're more loose. They can't yeah you can't really um and they just like to And it's just so expressive, you know. Can you turn it on in your head right now? That solo? Yeah. Because it's since you mentioned it, it's it's running in my head. Yeah, I mean a little bit. Yeah. I mean now I want to listen to it. Now I just want to listen to it. It's been it's been a while. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we can do that on this. Uh, um, I'm not at home right now because if okay. if I would be at home. I could put it on because I have the record, you know. I don't have the means mm. to do it now on the computer. It would be nice. 
But, you know, he starts yeah. with a spur of notes, you know, it's it's very loose in the beginning. And then he kind of locks in with Tony, you know, and, and the rest of the yeah. guys in a more eighth note kind of fashion. But then also, as you said, as you said, you know, the way he's ending and starting the phrases is, is very unusual. And, and, you know, really, I imagine the other guys, you know, everybody is so on their toes, you know, and so listening so hard, you know. And... Uh, I mean, that's also what Tony is doing, you know, ending the phrases and starting the phrases on, on different places, you know, not always the same, you know, he's breaking up the rhythm the whole time, you know. Yeah. But you have that as well that you can turn on certain recordings that are special to you, like, like, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's not the whole music that I've listened to, but I have it with the pieces that are very, very special and very dear to me. You know, I've listened oh, to yeah. them so many times that, you know, if I want to, if I'm, or if I'm lying in bed, you know, I can, yeah. I can tap into them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for yeah. me, most of those are, would be, most of those are, uh, yeah, different, like recordings of, of John Coltrane are the ones that, like the ones that I really, really tried to learn and like play them those ones really are like ingrained in my memory. Yeah. Um, and certain, yeah, certain, I think the things that I know how to play stick a lot better. Mm. And, um, you know, I probably should have listened to Wallace more than like, I probably should have transcribed Felon Brun if mm. I was really going to like do a great job of like, what he what he wanted me to do? But at that time, when he was, um, I was so into I was so into Coltrane's music that Felon Brun was like a sidetrack for me. Yeah. And 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 um, I loved it, but I my my mind couldn't even wasn't re even ready for that because I was I <laughs> like I was still like no I need to learn I need to like listen to Interstellar Space every day for. Yeah. three years like that was my mindset like yeah and and then like later i'll deal with that which is wrong but is that's it what though? i thought when i was i, I mean, mean i don't know but like that's what i thought <laughs> when i was 18 years old like i was like i cannot i cannot uh and i think i i even said that while i was like oh man like i love what wayne short is doing but what about this you know what about <laughs> you know all this what about what you know and he he always said like because Cause, uh, he always said like, well, definitely Wayne Shorter is following in Coltrane's, you know, logic or footsteps in some way, you know, inspired by John Coltrane. But he was saying how Wayne could be such an individual and so innovative and creative. Um, he was basically, basically saying, you know, that you could you could borrow that sound you know or borrow aspects of that and yeah. just totally become your own individual um so but yeah i should have listened to wallace more on all this stuff like i should have taken him more i mean <laughs> yeah i i've always been like very intuitive person mm -hmm. and i i just go with my instinct and sometimes it's like a little bit too much a little bit like it's hard for me to, to, it's, it's hard for me to commit to things that I don't really, really 
like already want to do like bad yeah. <laughs> i'm with you <laughs> yeah like i know hard. what you mean like, um, even because you know with that... the things that you really want to do you know that's it's not hard to do them it's you know it's very easy to become obsessed with them and stay with them yeah and the other the other part is a little bit more work or it starts starts to feel like work sometimes yeah although there can be great stuff you know waiting for you around the corner yeah definitely um but yeah now now i'm thinking you know i should i should go back and check out feeling now i need to listen to it again like i haven't listened to it in a while like i should i should i should try to play it you know or try to learn some of it mm. um i remember him talking about stuff oh yeah from from uh, miles in the sky and like the way now the way that one starts i is is burned in my brain because uh, we listen to it uh the the way wayne shorter solo starts oh you mean the yeah yeah um so really it's like the way it begins is so oh it's so it's so cool it's so cool but, mm. but yeah the melody i remember Wallace talking a lot about how what an unusual structure for a composition that was because it's very unusual yeah have you, um so you know what i'm talking about where well, what wallace told me was that they wrote out each phrase and then the the rest in between the phrases like compress so like every time they play the 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 form it gets shorter like the phrase oh, is the right. same the, it's the same phrase but just closer together and again then it gets closer again and and like i don't know any other composition that does that in mm. or i i don't know it's it's that's a really cool idea i never would have thought of that so yeah just uh being around wallace he he would just like cue you into things you know or like like his he had a lot of insights into this yeah uh and he could he would just share that knowledge with you um really what, what are some other pieces of advice of his that you that you can remember or that you sometimes go to for inspiration or, or guidance oh um some advice you mean musical advice or whatever hmm Well, I remember one thing he talked about a lot was like for the whole band sound, he would say like, you know, Love Supreme, Nefertiti, M1 Dishy, you know, these were kind of three ultimate, you know, sounds or ideals, you know, like, and just like, don't he was kind of thinking like, don't just think of one, like do them all, mm. like do everything. <laughs> he's like, we think they're separate, but they're, they're all exists. They've all existed for 
what, 50 years, not 50 or all of this, like, unbelievable creations. So take them all, all of these, uh, and just, like, combine them. Mm. And don't lessen any of them in the process. Don't dilute it. Just bring it all into your playing. And um, I think that would, he said that, I mean, several times to us, you know, the whole band. That that really sticks with me because I think he, he was thinking like in a really broad way, mm. you know, an inclusive way to like take your in, take your inspirations and musical idols and just like totally integrate them mm. in a way that that um, I think is really it's a really big vision you know so I think that's a great piece piece of advice, like of like a a goal, and it does. There wouldn't have to be those three things for you, you know, mm. or or anyone. Like just like what I imagine is what it means is like take take it all. Don't yeah. take some of it. Take it all with you. It's all part of you. Um, and you you know. So. Yeah, there's something about that that I find really encouraging and yeah. interesting. Think about. I mean, when I saw you guys play, uh, something you said before, like a lot, of, a lot of the stuff you've learned in rehearsal, but then without sheet music. Yeah. Would he teach you songs without sheet music or give you the sheet music and then you had to throw it away? Or what was the process like? With him, uh, you know, teaching the songs to you, and and uh, also I think usually, the, also you've brought in some some songs, you know, uh, and I'm interested yeah. in that process as well. What he would do with with your songs, you know, but take it where you where you want, you know. Yeah, sure. I mean, usually the pianist would have the, in his band. The pianist would have like charts for each tune, and the bassist would have them but at a certain point everyone would just kind of remember everything and the pianist would have those charts as a backup what what became a problem is if there was a sub for the pianist and then <laughs> and then everyone's like wait he doesn't know the <laughs> yep or like wait we don't have the uh you know and with there was a new tune I mean, basically, usually, basically, Wallace knew the melody and the chords and everything. Wallace knew it all. The pianist would have the the chart, and then I'd kind of have to figure out my part. So I'd either just copy what Wallace was playing, uh, or if there was a record. I mean, a lot of it was like, if it was a recording that he had already done, I would check out the recording and just learn yeah. the, if there was a harmony part, like play Antoine's part. So I just learned it from a recording, and then I, if I needed help with the changes, I'd, I'd look at the pianist, his chart, and kind yeah. of just figure it out that way. 
but but it was never like really organized like he never like brought in like a bunch of charts and gave everyone one like it was it was like a very organic uh like all right let's learn this tune you know i mean sometimes we sat down and he a couple times there were tunes that none of us knew and he would just write it write the changes and stuff that happened a couple times i remember him talking about playing i still really regret this that we never played um little church yeah uh which is like one of the really cool oh, yeah. harmonic progressions of all time and um i think we rehearsed it but we never we never we never like actually played it on a, a gig but i remember that when when we were rehearsing that it was one of those things where everyone was like i don't know <laughs> you know i was like i don't know this and 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 he just like sat down and started you know writing it out hmm. um yeah but yeah and in terms of uh bringing original tunes like that the stuff the stuff on a place and time yeah um like i i think we didn't i don't think we rehearsed at all for that i think i think we we brought some charts so some of those tunes like elegy we had been playing uh regularly like yeah uh, the traveling and stuff and then elegy and a couple of l's bop we already knew those yeah but then for the other original tunes like um like patrice's tune and um buster williams tune uh air dancing mm. he he just brought in a you know everyone brought their own chart and kind of distributed it and then we basically like sight read it in the studio and then did did a couple takes and that was it which is like it's really exhilarating you know mm. <laughs> it's really it's really like um but i think it's it's a really cool way to record because it's old, it's an old school thing you know yeah like yeah. let's just play it like just play it and it captures the energy you know yeah just play it and record it and that's <laughs> that's it you know mm -hmm. uh so that, that's that's kind of cool that's kind of cool i remember thinking so, about my my tune that um i dish yeah there was i wrote out i wrote i didn't at that time i wasn't really good at writing out stuff like certain voice like chord symbols so i i gave patrice russian um a chart that had like a couple bad you know bad wrong symbols for chords so i think we had to do a second take because I I kind of messed that up, and then I I had to talk to her about it and like fix like I was like, and um, but she was so cool about she was like well, what did you, what voicing did you want you know and I was oh I wanted this and she's like okay so here's how you would write that out and then she yeah. just showed me, and then That's she nice. did it and then we and then we played it and it was it was fine you know so hmm. that that was that was really cool that was I'm you... really thanks thanks. Yeah, I'm really glad we we got to play it. Mm. And man, Gary Bartz's solo on that tune is mm -hmm. <laughs> incredible. Yeah, incredible. Seems like solo. he could go 
everywhere. You know, his his sound is so fluid in a way. Yeah, yeah, and him, I feel him and uh, Patrice Russian, her comping, mm. the way they they move harmonically, is really in that solo is really, it's like, total like psycho. Uh, what do you call it? Like they're mind reading, you know, because yeah, they yeah. they like do these moves harmonically together. It's really it's really cool. I think that's so, yeah. Okay, um, so but when you're on tour with Wallace and you play every night for a week or two weeks or whatever, yeah. um, I'm curious how your view of him was when there was, you know, I'm sure there were nights that were, you know, you thought were more happening than the other nights because if you play two weeks, it's not, you know, there's a certain level in a band. But there yeah. are nights who, which are weird or, you know, who are not happening like the, those other nights, which might still be for somebody else in the audience, a great night, but you have all these, uh, these other nights of, to compare it to, to, you know? So I'm, I'm wondering what your view on Wallace was, you know, how he would handle a night like this and what your, you know, what your um, techniques wow. for handling something like this are, you know? Yeah. That's a, that's a tricky question because like that to me that's like the most mysterious thing <coughs> of all is like why that happens mm. um, and why certain nights are just really 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 great yeah um, and there's also different kinds of those situations so there could be a night where the band sounds good but you sound bad or I, I mean <laughs> yes. me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, like everyone's like killing it. And then like, you're struggling with your own, whatever, issues, improvising. Yeah. But then there's a night where like everyone kind of isn't connecting, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it's like almost like a group issue. So to me, yeah, I guess those are different, uh, things, but how would Wallace handle that? Well, he would always he would always like give give people feedback. Mm. He would always he would always know what's wrong. I think he always knew what the reason was. Were you um, surprised sometimes what you know he said the reason was? I just didn't have the experience to know always what it was that was going wrong. Um, so when he would say it. If it, if let's say it was like something like the drummer and the bassist weren't, or they're fighting about the time or something like that, mm. or they weren't agreeing about stuff. You know, that was something that I, I could feel that, but I might not know what the reason is. Right. Or, or, um, or the pianist has an interesting role for comping. And like if, if the pianist's comping is, um, if it's not busy enough or if it's like too busy, you know, that can, that can be kind of, uh, that can be part of it or, or if, yeah, or if there's some, I don't know, it's, it's hard to like, and I also don't, I'm not trying to like blame someone, you know, sure. 
like definitely not like but like definitely people could miscommunicate or not connect um but what what Wallace would give us feedback he always gave me feedback if he, he knew when I was like frustrated with my playing and like upset about it or whatever and he would talk to me about it was it always constructive um, yeah I mean pretty much um, I mean I, what I'm asking could get... is could you always take it you know could you always take it you know uh, and and uh, take it in and and be thankful for it or was it also, oh, yeah. also sometimes you oh, know yeah. of course he he never okay i'll just say this he wasn't a he wasn't a he would never like bully someone he would never say something hurtful mm. never if he i mean he would say something like musically like oh you're you're missing this or like you got to work on this or something so I would say, yeah, it was always constructive. It was never like, I mean, he never said anything like, like you suck or yeah, like, yeah, well, sure. well, like, he was just not that kind of person. Like, yeah. It was always, it was always very like a musical related answer. So in that way, I think um, he was, and he was very generous. He He was, he was a pretty generous person, you know. In the course of, your stay with Wallace, you've got the opportunity to work with a lot of great musicians. You know, like you said, yeah. Gary Barnes and Patrice Russian and, you know, Lenny White, Buster Williams. Yeah. And Ron Carter also, was it, or was it, was it something different with Ron? Uh, I played, I think I did one gig that he was, he was on. So I got to play with him once. That was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, I'm. I'm wondering. You know, do you want to share any stories of you know encounters within the band of uh, Wallace Roney that were very memorable for you, and that where you learned something specific, or you know that you have fond memories of? Well, I, I remember specifically there was a time, maybe a year or so, when uh, Lenny and White. Uh, sorry, Lenny White. <laughs> And Buster Williams, <laughs> Lenny White and Buster Williams were in the band. Yeah, and that that that, that was like a real highlight, I, I think. Yeah. Um, and Victor Victor Gould was playing yeah. piano. An incredible pianist and really good friend. And that was that was really fun, you know. Like even when that period in my life, like personally, wasn't good, mm -hmm. like. I was having my own, like, I was living in home. I was had moved back home to Chicago. And I was kind of depressed, but when I, when we went on tour with that band, it was really it cheered me up a lot, mm. and it gave me a lot of. Um, it was it was really fun. It was really fun, and um, I think musically I grew a lot from from that. And that was also a little later. So, I, I, like, I think when I first joined Wallace's band, I, I feel I was so inexperienced that I was just like, it was like, I was learning so many things so fast, you know. Yeah. And but that that was really fun too, though. You know, like that band with um, Kush and Rashan, 
Kush Abdi and Rashawn Carter and Victor Gould. Um, that was that was a really great band too. Yeah. They were all like great <laughs> bands. Like um but I think like it was yeah, it was really, really special for me to um uh, be on the road with Wallace and Lenny and Buster and Victor, like that was a huge learning experience for me. Tell me how But, it feels to play with Buster Williams. Uh, well, I'd say, I'd say warm mm -hmm. so, or, and supportive. Mm. I think he's a very supportive uh, player and that when, whatever you play, he's, he's hearing, he's listening really closely. Um, and he always, like, I didn't even realize this until I listened to some of that album, A Place in Time. Mm. But like in my solo, when I left a little gap that was a little too long, like he felt, he played some like <laughs> badass, awesome thing that filled it perfectly. Mm. I feel very supportive like you know playing with him and i love his sound i love his bass sound mm. like such a great tone on that and and so personal like yeah. when you hear buster williams play bass it's just so obvious that <laughs> it's buster williams um and god i remember like one of the first albums as a child that i listened to was boss tenors you know with gene ammons and sonny stitt Mm. You know this album? I don't. I don't know that one. No. It's a great, great, great album, um, and it's like one of the first albums that I ever had. So it's very like nostalgic, mm -hmm. and um, I think it's from 1960 or 61, and um, and Buster Williams is on it. <laughs> you know, so yeah. like well, it was so cool to actually meet Buster Williams. And play with him and i got to ask him about that album you know like what well, i asked him like what were the circum you know how did you how, like what was that like i think i don't know exactly what he said but i was curious about it and he said that was his first gig basically like he mm. um i guess he was in philadelphia and his dad his, he said his dad had the gig like they were playing several weeks at this place and his dad had to sub out the gig with Gene Ammons and Sonny Stitt. So Buster was the sub for it. <laughs> and he was like 18 years old playing with uh, Gene Ammons and Sonny Stitt. And then they were like, Oh, do you want to go to Chicago with us? Like we're going next week or whatever. And then, uh, anyway, <laughs> wow. that, that was really cool to hear him talk about Gene Ammons and Sonny Stitt. Um, who is like saxophone, royalty you know like legends like yeah that, that that was pretty cool um and he's had so many i mean he's played with so many like kinds of great musicians so he's like a real well of yeah experience and knowledge and stuff so i mean when when wallace said to you to you guys nefertiti and love supreme and m1 dishi 
now you get the chance to play with with Buster Williams. You know, did you yeah. ask him about that band, or did you, you know, um, did did Wallace's comment now make a little bit more sense to you, or you know, how was that? How, did did you connect those two things? You know, it's hard to explain, but that's it's, it's kind of a surreal thing, you know, you know, but. Also, also when you play with someone and and then, or if you're on the road with someone and you see them every day, in a way, uh, you're not always going to think about like how world historical they are. <laughs> they yeah. truly are, because they're right in front of you. Like you're talking to like talk about stuff, and so <laughs> um, to me, that's that's the funny thing when you're around people a lot like friends being around wallace i think a lot for it's like almost like you don't always think about how legendary they are sure. they, they become like a person in your life you know they're your friend you know yeah sure yeah yeah it's like family so yeah sometimes you don't want to you don't want to say like uh something too embarrassing or something like that's like gonna be like i worship you you know <laughs> like mm -hmm. even though you do <laughs> you do worship them but it's like it's almost like it's just you wanna you wanna be cool or you want to shut up and not say that much because yep. i think that's a good that's a good strategy for <laughs> being around older like being i think being around buster williams and Lenny White, I tried to, um, I tried to be quieter <laughs> or say mm -hmm. less things, and kind of because then they would talk among each other and talk to Wallace, and they would talk about all this stuff and yeah. all these discussions amongst themselves, and me and Victor were in the backseat just listening, like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, oh, like, <laughs> like this is interesting, you know. So we didn't even ha have to really ask about this or that sometimes because like it would come up and we would just hear all these stories just like just being there so sure that's pretty cool D did you leave the band to do to focus on some something else or what was the the reason for you to to leave the band was it enough after a while or well no it's a combination of things but basically i I had I had a kind of long period where I was living at home with my parents in Chicago, and I was going on the road with Wallace and making gigs with Wallace. But besides that, I wasn't I wasn't doing much else musically, and I wasn't uh, I was unhappy. Like when I was at home, I was unhappy with mm. my life in general. Um. And like one of the things that got got me out of this, uh, uh, I'll call it like depression. One of the things that got me out of it was um, taking piano lessons mm. and getting really into piano and like getting a score, like a piano score, something, and just trying to play it. You know, yeah. even if it was too hard for me, just playing like one measure or two measures of it. Yeah. And because I think what I needed is like when when I wasn't 
playing walls or I didn't have gigs because sometimes we didn't have gigs for a month. Mm-hmm. So what do you do then? You know, and you're I left was, with your I feelings, happy, you know? Yeah. You're left. You're, you're just like empty. And like at that time I felt like, Oh, I'm so, I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain, but so, so working on piano was like something I could do on myself. Yeah. Um, of course I was working on saxophone too, but piano's more like it was like a new thing, like I'm a beginner, total, total newbie, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's that fun thing of like really discovering something for the first yeah. time and like reading reading bass clef. And I, right. I took a uh uh like I didn't know like bass clef. I didn't sure. know what that like what's that, you know? <laughs> And so, like, what? So, the the um, piano teacher gave me like flashcards, bass clef flashcards, you know. And I remember, like, <laughs> you know. So I'm I'm just saying this to say I was. It was like really a refreshing thing. It was really um, good for me, and I, I got really into like. Uh, I really got into Maurice Ravel's music. Yeah. Listening to his music, listening to Debussy. Claude Debussy music, yeah, and what I love, especially just love their piano compositions. Oh, of course, yeah. they wrote great orchestral. They wrote the ballet, you know, Daphne. I'm, Ravel wrote exists a lot of other things, but but especially piano writing. I feel like Ravel is like the king of of piano and just like unique approaches, like really unique ideas on the piano mm-hmm. uh, that yeah. no one ever had ever even could imagine and wc2 um but in a different way but but so like that that started this whole phase and a new phase for me where i was like i want to study composition and i want to learn more about harmony and i want to learn about piano and like i want to understand these things i don't want to just be in awe of them uh which i already am but i also want to know how it works you know so mm. that got me started thinking about going going back to school and going to music school. So so I think uh God, that must have been sometime in two thousand end of two thousand fifteen and two thousand sixteen I was doing the piano lessons and I applied for I applied um at Berkeley and I did an audition and I got a really nice scholarship and everything. And it was like, Berkeley was the school that I could go to. The reason I say Berkeley is because they they have jazz musicians at Berkeley. But they also have great, great composition mm. faculty. And it's in Boston. That's close to New York. And yeah. I, I, needed a, I needed a place to go where I could work on music and get, you know, learn some other skills that I just didn't have, you know, mm. and, and, uh, in a structured way, you know, like really, and be around other people, be around, uh, people, other kid, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, so, so the thing was like then, but then I couldn't like go right away because there were some tours with Wallace coming up. So I like put that off. I was like, all right, I'll do that the next semester. Yeah. So, so like that, that happened, and then uh, I think so. It, then finally in January of 2017, 
it worked out where like the gigs with stuff and it worked where I could start school and still be in Wallace's band. Yeah. So I did that. I started in January 17 at Berkeley and, um, yeah, it was kind of like a new beginning for me in a really positive way. Mm. Um, and then I was, I was still making gigs with Wallace. Like we would, I would still go out to, like we played in California and then we did other gigs. We had a tour in Europe and it, you know, it kind of like worked out somehow. So then finally, so that lasted until about the end of the summer, 2017. And then there was a, there was like a month long tour coming up in October. And I knew that I couldn't do school and do this tour. Yeah. How did that feel? Oh, it was horrible. It was a horrible feeling, you know, Mm. (laughs) horrible feeling. So, because I want to do both things. I have my own little independent existence and things that, but I also want to be in this band. This is like really important. So I told, I think I told Wallace, like I could make two weeks of the tour and then we could get a sub. And then he was like, well, you know, I need someone who's committed to, to this band full time. He didn't want someone who's half in half, you know, and I think he was hurt, you know, he's like, why are you doing, you know, why are you in school? Yeah. You know, in a, in a way, like you're in my band, like this is school. And yeah. he was right. <laughs> he was right. Like that was the greatest school you could have. Um, but I also wanted to be in a school school. Like I wanted to get a bachelor's degree and I wanted to have like classes. I needed to learn like basic stuff, <laughs> you know, like yeah. that I didn't know yet. Um, and I had been in Wallace's band for like five years at that point. And also, also, yeah, at that time, Emilio, I had met Emilio like earlier, like a, a year before that. Mm. And he had come to a couple of gigs of Wallace and sat in. And I really, like, everyone could tell Emilio was like super talented, like badass young guy, you know? Yeah. So I figured this this is perfect timing, like, just yeah, maybe we'll pivot and Emilio Emilio will do the tour, then he'll be in the band. I can stay in school and finish my degree. And then yeah. you know, in a in a way it worked I think I do feel really bad to this day about like letting walls down. Mm-hmm. I really like I did really do feel guilty about it, but in a different way to look at it is it, it gave Emilio a chance to Sure, yeah get that experience, you know, that I had had kind of like, you know, it was like, all right, this is, this is fair. Like, let's, let's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, let's just do it, you know? And, um, and it ended up working out good, you know? So like, um, and then later I got to play with Wallace again, like with Emilio, we did a, a gig. Yeah. And like, I subbed for Emilio once. So, like we were still friends and everything like it, it it really worked out well i think but but i do feel i do still feel a little bad about you know yeah <laughs> about that it's so yeah this is like a that was a really big dilemma in my mind so mm. and i know a lot of people don't don't under, wouldn't understand why i did that but 
uh, something you had to do, I guess. But now I'm curious, um, did that move towards the school and, you know, learning about composition? And we have to get into that, obviously. But did that move yeah. help you with the depression thing? Like continuing what, yeah. what the piano lessons gave you, but on a much larger scale, I guess, you know, did that continue yes. to help you? Yes. Yes, I think so. That's good. And I think a big, big part of it for me is like having more, having more agency. You know, What having does that more mean? Agency is like self. Uh, it's like having more ability, more competence, mm. more understanding, like not being, not being helpless. You know, one of the things I really struggled with in Wallace's band is that I didn't have any um, control over whether we had gigs or not. Sometimes we had tons of gigs. Sometimes we had no gigs. Yeah. So, but I was powerless. It was frustrating because I, I, I didn't have the skills like for myself to, to lead a band or, you know, to get things together or, uh, get other side. I mean, I had a couple other gigs with other people, but I was never really like working a ton, like, you know, like you're supposed to be. So the way I felt was like, I need to take action in my life mm. so that I have more control over my life. Right. For myself. Yeah. And that's like all it was about. It wasn't about being dissatisfied with something or It was more like, yeah, I was dissatisfied with myself that I couldn't mm. didn't have the ability to like control what I was doing in my life. So when I think about what I'm doing today, I think it, it makes a lot of sense that like me trying to study those areas like composition, taking tonal harmony classes, stuff like that, or a counterpoint class, like that has everything to do with like how I feel now about mm. where I want to, yeah, I want to, like, I want to have more ability to understand more music, more kinds of music. And want to be able to like write out my charts, you know, or my ideas, like, you know, things that I imagine that, that are hard to write out, you know, or mm. like I have more skills now to musically like contextualize that and try to write it out and try mm. to play it with other people. What was especially helpful in that regard to to make more sense of your ideas and to to be able to get them across to other people? What was your process? When you take a um, you take a tonal harmony class and they start from like the beginning of everything, you know, you learn the different cadences and stuff. Like I think that stuff's it's really important. It's 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 fundamental and it's easy. People think it's easy. A lot of people test out of those courses. They like study the the class and then they don't take it because they think it's it's like too basic for them. Mm. But in my opinion, the op the opposite is true. That those basic stuff are that is the most advanced stuff. Like <laughs> the most fundamental knowledge is it's like 
you have to know, like, if you don't really, really get it, you're really like, you're, you're, you kind of don't understand a lot of yeah. stuff. It's something um, that you always come back to and everything else is built on. I feel that, that way about music in general right now is that sort of like, it's really mysterious to me how it works because you could know a lot of stuff about music but still not understand something very basic about music. At least that's the way I feel sometimes. Mm. Like I feel like sometimes I, I really just don't understand something like what, like how it works, you know, and I, I want to know. <laughs> mm -hmm. So this is part of my, my, what I want to learn, what I want to continue to work on, you know, in all in different styles too like in, in jazz there's or you know listening to john coltrane there's a lot of things i love but i don't i don't understand what how it works you know mm. so i'm very curious to to investigate that mm -hmm. <laughs> like like you investigate like i want to i want to figure it out like how does it work yeah um, sorry, sorry, it's not very. I'm not being specific about. But. It's fine. Well, yesterday I was trying to learn Miles mode. Oh yeah, sorry. Um, and yeah, I, w I was wondering how he thought about it. You know, obviously there's the mirror thing that's happening. Yeah. I was trying to, you know, maybe you can relate to that. I was trying to because there's certain you know, um, packs of notes, you know, that I can, um, I can divide the melody in certain packs of notes that I think were maybe in Coltrane's head, you know, put the first three notes and the next five notes make yes. sense in one certain harmonic area, maybe, you know. I was trying to move around those packs, the, the, the notes in different orders. Yeah. And one one funny thing was I adjusted them that they would go upwards and then downwards. And it totally, you know, it's almost like a scale. Huh. It was really weird. Because I always, you know, something, I, I just, I'm just mentioning it because it's something that I wanted to understand lately, you know. Well, okay, that, that brings up something interesting, which I think is like the direction of the notes. Like that one, it goes up, da da, yeah. then a down, da da, up, da da, and down, da da, and then two down, da 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 da. Right. So to me, yeah. that's like, it's like a really, like those those things that are like, really really basic. Yeah. Which is like, saying, one two one two, one one. It's <laughs> just like yeah, a little yeah, surprise yeah. at the end where you don't do what you did, or just like long short you know this long short thing like how music is also about long short like long long notes and short notes like mm. it's kind of like you can kind of analyze a lot of music that way that's very it's basic very, but it makes total sense yeah very basic it's like a toddler way of understanding music but yeah it actually helps me a lot for for composing mm. like think of long notes and short notes and don't have too many of one or the other. Like, right. do something purposeful.
with them. And I think that the, like this thing you said about direction of notes applies a lot to that, that melody and what, what, what's cool about it. Totally. Yeah. Do you think he wrote down the second part of the song? Because he plays it differently, you know, usually plays it differently. And I think the yeah, first, I the know. first couple of bars are very specific. And it seems like yeah. the other four bars are more like an afterthought, you know, whereas the rhythm is pretty notated maybe, you know, or there's some general information. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I have no idea, but this is reminding <laughs> me of another thing that like uh -huh. some, there's a somewhat of a dispute about that tune, about who actually wrote it, because there's Eric Dolphy song that's the same melody. You know this song? I think oh. it's called uh, is it Red Planet. Let me, let me search it. Hold on. Mm. Maybe I've heard it. Well, he played it together with Eric, so... Yeah, but like, so, okay, the other thing about that tune is, you know, the 12-tone, it has that 12-tone row aspect to it, mm. um, and there's another Coltrane tune that has a 12-tone row in it, which is really cool, the um, Brasilia. Man, yeah, that's the other other song I learned today. That's so funny. Oh, really? I thought, yeah, because some 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 somehow that's one of my favorite songs of his. But I thought, I think a good preparation for this interview would be to learn Brasilia. I don't know why, but I just it just came that's to me. Funny. So I actually I wanted to ask you about that song, and then I didn't put it together with the twelve tone row because you know I wrote it down, but. I haven't realized it until now that there's a Treftone row in there. Yeah. Cool. So that, that tune and Miles Mode are built that way. Mm. Um, which is, inter is, is interesting because, like, he didn't then write, like, 24 more 12 tone. You know, he didn't yeah, get sure. stuck on that. Clearly it wasn't. <laughs> he was like, all right, I did that. Yeah. Now I can do every everything else, um, which I think is is really cool. But yeah, those are some of my favorite, you know, Coltrane compositions. I mean, those are just great tunes. Yeah. And you wouldn't even think that they're a twelve tone row because they no, sound so nat sounds natural and it sounds yeah. yeah it sounds stylistic to the style that it is. It doesn't sound like a Schoenberg, you know. It, no. It's 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 so cool how he just integrated that idea totally into his music and you know did it and then just moved on like yeah there's a, there's did we talk about the song expression at all yeah we talked about it i mean we've written each other messages about it okay. because i i also learned it you know after we we talked it talked about it i think did i send you the chart that i have for it um I didn't remember. i send you my chart of it <laughs> i'm not sure <laughs> Maybe yeah, I don't know because I have a chart. Okay. I'd like to see. I'd like to see your chart too, but but um, but I think there's something in that. There's something like that with the uh, row, but with the bass notes of each chord. Yeah. 
which is really interesting. Um, yeah, you said it's something related to culture and changes in, in some kind of way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, there's so many cool, <laughs> so many cool ideas, like, in that. <laughs> I, I was wondering actually about Brasilia because now, I, you know, the versions I compared were the one from, you know, the Coltrane Quartet plays and um, and from the Village Vanguard with Eric Dolphy and, and you know, second bassist. And I'm wondering about the, the rhythm of the melody actually because it's, you know, at that point where he's recording it uh, and, and uh, on the quartet plays record, I think there's some some time you know in between. I think like three or four years at least. Yeah. So the way he's playing the melody on the on the quartet record is very advanced and has a lot of embellishments around the notes and you know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's more yeah. Because there, it if you if you add up all the notes. That's more than 12 notes, I guess, because he's playing all the embellishments around it, you know. But the 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 recording with Eric is very, you know, a little bit more precise and, and you know, and specific about certain rhythms, whereas the quartet version is very, very loose. I'm wondering, when you take apart a song like this, what's your... Because, I'm yeah, there's something where I'm, I'm some, sometimes not really... Uh, haven't really made a decision. What's the version that that you want to put on paper, you know, for for yourself to to say, okay, this is the version I'm gonna, you know, because I, what I want, really want to find is the the original thing, you know. Huh. Because if somebody plays a song for three years, as you know, it's it's changing and it takes it takes on its own life, you know. Yeah. But a certain chord stays the same. But it's also there's also improvements, you know, and you leave leave yeah. away stuff that is maybe, um, you know, too much cargo or whatever. You know, it's, it's just too much baggage, and yeah. you you kind of get to the core of the piece. What's your reference? I, I would say, I would say for that, I definitely the quartet version seems to me like perfect it's mm. so it's so and well, i guess it's also the one that i heard first yeah me too. so maybe i think of it as the definitive one but the but thing is what that, there's there's a difference in what i think is the tune and what he's playing yeah yeah, yeah I, I know i know what you mean um because there's this one moment where he's playing like bo de do do de do 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 you know he's play, playing yeah. those triads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's in the tune. That's kind of something that comes to mind, you know, or the, he's running up the scale yeah. of the D flat minor or something, you know. He's yeah, yeah, yeah. he's embellishing things. Yeah, I love those that thing he does too with the lone pole. Yeah. Uh it's so cool. Okay, so yeah, I think in that case, I would agree that it's like, if anything, it's less baggage. It's like over time that tune has like shed. Mm. <laughs> it's shed. It's uh, 
whatever other material and it's like more compacted by that time and they they just play the tune mm. and they it's definitely more free i mean harmonically it's yeah. more it go it's it's way less grounded and more more abstract in a really cool way i mean in a so, basic way it's just ba uh, you know it's just saxophone and drums for the most part until they get to the e flat minor you know there's there's no yeah, real yeah, chords yeah, yeah. played by by anyone which is compared to the version from the vanguard it's very different you know yeah 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 i love the way it opens with that wow but that that album that album the quartet plays that to me is a wow it's a very unique album Why did Very I gravitate towards this album when I thought of you? I don't know. I mean, that's that's one of my that's definitely one of my favorite ones. Yeah, it's definitely me too. Um, to me, it's kind of dark. Mm -hmm. Like the way it opens with the the on Chim Chim Tree, like the. The harmony and every everything's so like trains comes on the soprano on yeah it sounds so dark and it sounds like very mysterious to me yeah and it's it's so yeah even after listening a thousand times it's still like mysterious <laughs> like I don't know what what it is about that whole album but it it's it's really got a dark sound to me yeah you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's less tender than the other ones. I feel Although, that, yeah, I feel it is. I feel it is less. Um, yeah. It's kind of, kind of raw, maybe, I'd say. Mm -hmm, yeah, that makes sense. Um, even like there's some out, like the. The Sunship album mm. is very, I would say that's very raw or it's very yeah. like a loose feeling to it, but even it sounds a lot brighter to me mm -hmm. than that other, the other album we were talking about. Yeah. Like it has a bright, brighter outlook or something. <laughs> like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I liked it. You said, um, looking forward to our discussion. Because I think discussion is the, the stuff that I'm, you know, sometimes it's an interview and yeah. I'm looking, I'm actually looking for a discussion. That's more yeah. what I'm looking for than a questionnaire. Or, you know. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that can be uh, really boring yeah and there's but it, there can also be strengths in that in that you know there can also be things to get from from that when when a certain person is more like okay yeah what what's your question i mean i well, think if, if you inter, if you interviewed buster williams he has so much stuff in his head like it could be an, it could just be him interviewed and it would work you know because yeah. it's like his there's so much there you know 
But for me, I think discussion is better because I don't have all that much. <laughs> I feel like adolescent. No, I'm like an adolescent, you know, like musically. Mm. Like I'm like in the adolescent phase, you know. Mm. And that's like a really good place to be because it's like I'm, that's interesting. You know what I mean? Can you explain? Because I can relate to that in some regard because um, in a way you, we have all these teachers throughout our lives and at some stages yeah. they come new ones and they show you how it's done and that's one perspective and uh, a lot of that is still true to you but at, you come to a point where you have to realize what what is true for you and, and what, what your view in, on, on it is. And then we have to emancipate ourselves from what we've learned in a way, which is hard. Is that what yeah, you're talking you have, about? We have to decide what, what it is you want to do. Or, like to me, I don't, I don't know what I, I don't know exactly what, like I have all these things that I'm inspired by. <laughs> and um, I've had great teachers, like you said, like, great mentors and stuff and who share their knowledge but i don't feel like i don't feel like assertive you know like i don't feel like i know the answer you know i feel like i have no idea but i'm 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 looking like i'm in that phase of like incorporating things and yeah. like trying to figure out what what i'm what actually what am i good at i mean really you know mm. I think it, I think like it, like you want to do the thing that you do best, right? Like your best thing to serve the world is like what you do best, right? And and I, I feel like I don't know what that is exactly, but how about playing I'm, the saxophone? I, <laughs> I mean, I love sorry for being so. a wise, guy, you know, smart ass no. or whatever. <laughs> what? No, but you, the thing is, like playing this. Playing the saxophone is not is um what what would I play on this like what will I play on sure. the saxophone like whose music will I play like am I gonna like what will I you know like to me that's like a huge question like I mean I want to write the music but I don't know what you know it's like a it's like a really like weird problem I'm having like of course I want to write music that I will would play but I still haven't decided what it's gonna sound like or what the band will be like, or what, like, I have ideas that I want to try, but I haven't, like, I just don't have enough experience, like, to lead a band at all, like, I mean, yeah. I have led a band a couple times, you know, but I've never had, like, a working band to just try and try and try stuff, and I think, yeah. like, you got, I think, like, you've got to do that before you know what you're doing, like, I've certainly by the time I met Wallace, he had already been leading a band for like, what, like 20 years? Like, mm -hmm. he was like, he was like seasoned. He was like totally, totally a leader, like naturally. Yeah. But he had also had years of learning. And I'm sure that at some point he had started out leading and he made mistakes or learned from it, you know? So by the time I met him, he was already like, he knew like how to, how to kind of like, Yeah, how to manage it. Yeah. Yeah, how to manage the people and to manage the music and like how it should go. And I feel like <laughs> I, I like I want to be like that someday. 
but it's like that's that's like it's such a like you can't fake it you know you just you just gotta i think but don't don't you think it would don't you think it would come if you start just start yeah I mean, I mean, start I, writing I, I, things, I so, like, start leading a band, start, you know, rehearsing a band or whatever. That's, yeah. Well, that's what I think I want to work on mm. for the future is like, um, I think start my own band and, and just try, try stuff, try writing music. Yeah. Um, like, But it's it is it's I struggle with it like deciding what what it's gonna be like what like because I write a lot of stuff that like they're like little fragments and then and then at the moment I'm like oh this is kind of cool like this this could be nice hmm. and like a day later I'll just feel like oh this sucks like <laughs> worst shit like this is shite <laughs> it's like it's never gonna work. Hmm. Or I write, or or it's like I have an idea that like works in logic, you know, or it's mm. it's something that sounds good on a synth or something, but it, it's not really a band idea, you know, because it like like I don't know, like I feel like writing music for a band that's really you're gonna have a really good band of good musicians, got to give them space to do their add their musical touch you know mm. so what I'm, what i'm struggling is to write music that has enough information right or enough ideas but isn't just like so dense that there's not there's just like it's like annoying to play <laughs> so sorry now yeah. i'm like just confiding in you my no, my anxieties fine. but like do you do you do you, what's your experience as a band leader do you, do you struggle with that what i'm talking about mm. Well, I think um, I've been leading a band for a long time already, um, and I just went into it very naively. You know, even before I was studying, I had a trio, and I think it's an art form. I think it's a, it, I think it's a, you know, a deep skill to 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 be a band leader, and I think with all the um, experiences we have uh, as a side man side person uh, good and bad we form the way we want to treat the musicians that we're hiring like huh. usually for most of the decisions <clears throat> i i have to make for my band or my music i i usually go by thinking about how would I want it? You know, how would I want it? You know, and that's basically what you're thinking about. But how would I yeah. want to be treated? You know, what kind of fee do I want? Or what kind of food do I want before a gig? Or what kind of, you know, that's very basic, obviously. Yeah. But still, the all these, comf the, all these <clears throat> thoughts or decisions, they make up what you're, you know, uh, what it's going to be that, will be the thing how you lead a band what kind of as you said how how would i want the music to be given to me you know would i give out cheap music yeah. or would i teach the songs what is and then also what is practical 
because yeah. a lot of the stuff I write is pretty long. So it's not really practical maybe to do it without sheet music, although I would want to do it more, you know, and with some sure. tunes, we've done it without sheet music and the experience was so much, you know, was a lot different. So you have to make adjustments of what, what is practical and what is, um, uh, yeah, what is doable with the people you're hiring. If you're hiring people who are busy, what, you know, which they should be because you want to hire good people, you know, usually yeah, they are, they're exactly. busy. So you have That's to. the number one band leader problem. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, also, but it could also be other kinds of decisions like, Maybe I hire younger guys because they're not busy yet, but I can see the potential in 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 them or they, they are killing already, but nobody knows them. And I can yeah. form form it a little bit more maybe into your view and uh, as opposed to with people who are already more established and also used to be called for doing what they do best or whatever. You know, that's a decision you maybe want to make. And the same thing with writing also is, is this chord something that I would like to play over? Is this a melody that, that I want to play 10, 20, 30 times, you know, for three years or whatever? Yeah. Do I really like it? And um, because I've written a lot of things and in some of them, there are things that I don't like. And um Looking back, I would now maybe take just take them out and see how the composition then would sound. But somehow it, it took, you know, it was important for me to have that at that point, I thought. But looking back now, no, I don't want to have things in my music that I don't like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But th having things do you like isn't the same thing as being comfortable with things because there's a lot of things in my music sometimes that I'm not comfortable with. But I like yeah. I like the challenge of it or something like that, you know. So that's that's another thought maybe, you know, I think. So having writing for people and then writing for how they sound, but also maybe writing for them how you would like them to sound or how you, you know, writing stuff that could be a challenge for somebody. Yeah. So writing against your expectations and their expectations as well but then again also just writing you know today i wrote two tunes after i transcribed oh. miles mode yesterday and I th then i thought okay i have done the mirror technique in my compositions before but only in a short moment maybe you know just to get from one place to another let me write just write out because i don't have an in instrument I, I thought okay i'm going to write out two tunes just you know having a melody and then putting a mirror in in the middle where i decide i want the middle to be not not it doesn't have to be four bars you know it could be in the middle of a bar or whatever and then i just put the mirror and then i put chords to it and then yes. i sent the the sheet music to my students and was like please send me a recording <laughs> i would like to hear it <laughs> it was fun um That's cool. but still i think it's yeah it's two cool tunes but it's not like in the moment where I write it, it's not like I'm I'm already saying this is the greatest song I'm writing. Yeah, I, I will ever write. You know, no, it's yeah. a process like like practicing. Yeah. You just have to do mm -hmm. it and do it and do it and not think about the end result too much. 
more like yeah. and then when it's finished then you can think about it and say okay bar number three is sucks you know and well uh, yeah go ahead well just i'm sorry just reminding me of a problem i'm having right now with something which is like okay miles's mode is like one of the short short very short songs right yeah like super short yes <laughs> and then i wrote something the other day that but it's short but it doesn't feel finished mm -hmm. and then this is my issue is like i'm like oh should i write more like mm -hmm. is there like should there be you know and it's like it's really hard for me to just like kind of leave something and just move on like yeah but at the same time when i look at the music that i like almost all this stuff is is short i mean like it's all like you know songs like uh nefertiti is like what like 16, 16 bars. bars yeah um how short is you yours? Know, a lot of your song um I don't know. I have. I actually haven't written it out yet. I've just been playing it. This is also a problem with. That's maybe something my, you. Maybe you should it, write it down. And then you see yeah, it, I write and it then down. you then you get some, also some visual aspect. You know, like, yeah. oh, maybe how how about I transpose this bar there, or you know. Yeah, I've I've had different results too with like. Sometimes I play things on a loop. Yeah. And I just keep playing it. And that, like, I feel like, like that song, uh, Ardesh. Yeah. Is like that. It's something I would just play on piano. Yeah. And then even like for a year, I didn't write it down. Like, because I didn't have a, a reason to until we had that recording. So, but some other things that I started writing down, I, which I know people say like, oh, you should just write first and then play it later. Or I mean, everyone has their own idea, but like, yeah, there's no like one some of the, way to do it. I think. Yeah, very personal. But like the issue, the issue I have is like when I start writing, I'll write stuff that fits in the bar. I'll write stuff in let's say it's four four. I'll write four four stuff. If I just play something and play it on a loop and then just like record it. It's usually like more, a little freer. And then yeah. the challenge is how to write out the weird rhythm that yeah. I just imagined. Um, like that, 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 um, that was a big problem with that, this uh, etude book thing. Yeah. Because some of the, the, especially the first one, I never wrote out. I just played it. And then when I had to write it out, it was, I realized, oh God, there's like five, eight, there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's some like weird stuff in here but it doesn't so it's that's anyway sorry I'm yeah but those going on, A2s, but they, I feel these like i feel these conflicts you know sure and I, but but that's that's something that everybody feels i think and yeah. i think maybe you got away with um uh how should i say this but you've just published a great book of etudes which is full of great songs in a way, <laughs> you know, those are great compositions. You, you've called them etudes and maybe got away with, uh, with 
uh, how can I put this into words? You know, you're, you're basically you're telling me your your struggle with composition and putting stuff on paper and you know arriving at yeah. a finished product. But on the other hand, you just released a book of what? How many? Twenty etudes or whatever? No, Twenty five? It's twelve. It's twelve. Yeah, that's so um, many. Well, there's enough. <laughs> there's enough material in them for twenty-five or fifty. <laughs> no, but uh, still, you know, how about that? I mean, it's it's there. It's obvious. You've just released twelve compositions. Yeah, but that's different because that's that's like a one line. It's like, well, so sorry, I'm not I'm not trying to argue with you about. No, no, that's fine. But but like I feel like when something's so limited, that does make it easier. Mm -hmm. like just for one instrument and then also for those that had us the theme you know so each one would have a different modulation scheme so that helped me a lot to write because then i each one had its own goal mm. you know that made it i think that made it a lot easier to do that project because it wasn't just like open like write It wasn't like an assignment. Yeah, write, like write, write a so cool tune. Write solo. Write a solo. Yeah, write a cool tune or write a solo saxophone yeah. thing. It was really um, limited. So yeah. maybe, yeah. But that's, I mean, also there, it's it's there. I mean, the answer is there already, right? I mean, how don't? Why don't you make a, a scheme or a problem or yeah. a, a, a scenario? Uh, make it make it up before you write something. Yeah. You know, somebody once gave me the advice to to uh, write a song with a musical problem that I have as a as a topic, like write a song with just half diminished chords. And I still think about it. And when I tried to incorporate that sound more into my music, now it's full of half diminished <laughs> sounds. My music, huh. you know, write a song in That's nine cool. eight. Or write a song with counterpoint. That can be a problem, you know. That can be a, that yeah. can be a, an objective. And it's all about, I think, it's all about taking you out of your comfort zone, right into the uh, uncomfort zone, you know. Um, and another cool thing was, you know, Jorge Rossi, the the drummer. You know, he he told me he has he. He was meeting this girl and he had to remember her phone number. So I wrote down her phone number. But he, I think he was still, he was coming out of a bad relationship with another person. So he couldn't write down, uh, you know, a number, an actual number. So he write, wrote down pictures. So if you write down oh, a wow. phone number in pictures, the zero becomes a pause, you know, and the one becomes the first pitch of the scale you're imagining it, it could be different scales yeah. you know check out how your how your phone number sounds it's really cool they they really sound cool and then all these ideas like being a kid playing legos with those ideas yeah. you know okay now i'm going to start this this phone number in c major but i'm going to end up in e major and you know then i'm going to go to a flat minor and then a minor you know you know do stuff like that with the composition and um just have fun and then if you don't care yeah. so much about the end result it's more about the process and i also always have to think about hermeto pasquale who wrote little church 
he did this thing. He did a calendar of songs. Just write one huh. song that works each day. You know. Wow. So that's after one year. That's a lot of songs. Where, of course, he's a, an incredible composer, but not every song will be a masterpiece. It will be a piece of you know the process. But maybe every third, yeah. every tenth, every, maybe how about every fifty? You know, fiftieth uh, yeah. song will be something to play with the band, and that became a uh, w when I thought about that, that became an objective more to write something that works. You know, huh. and the same guy who um, so now I'm rant, I'm on a rant here. <laughs> um, This is great. This is great. Keep going. <laughs> That same guy who uh, um, suggested doing the half diminished, a song with only half diminished, he also said, mm. um, uh, how about you try to write a really bad song? <laughs> Have you tried to write a really bad song yet? And I was like, no, no, I haven't. I always want to write a very good song, you know? <laughs> He said, yeah, yeah, I tried to write a very bad song. I tried, wrote it out, And then played it for my teacher at that time, the different guy, and he was like, "Yeah, I know what he why he suggested that. It's a pretty good song." And I was like, "Yeah, Wait, is why? it?" And he and he said, "Yeah, because you became invested in it. You became, you know, you were attached to making it something that you know you had a you had a goal or whatever, and you can't really." on purpose write a bad song become because you get invested in it and thereby it becomes personal it becomes it becomes your thing huh. you still want to make you still want to be good at writing a bad song you know that's true that's that's really funny I, i really like that idea though you were saying about you know like problem solving yeah with the I mean, definitely the 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 Coltrane catalog of his compositions to me is very like you can you could see that yeah he was like solving problems and different problems you know different periods but you can see what he's he went, working on yeah yeah it's so clear mm. although I couldn't I couldn't see the twelve tone thing in Miles mode and in uh, Brasilia. <laughs> You know, sometimes well, it's also hidden, and that's also nice yeah. to to have it so mysterious that the technique is hidden with it. You know. Well, it sounds so natural. Yeah. Those tunes. What's the latest song of his that you that you've learned? I think it was Black Pearls. Mm. Which it's I, an early which I, one, right? Yeah. Um, which I always listen to. And I always loved it, but I had actually never played it, and I never played the head. I was always like so into the solo. Hmm. Um, so I think that was about a month ago because I was listening to that album again. It was in high school. It was one of my favorite albums, hmm. and I was like, "Why don't I just?" So I played that. I played along with the head. A couple times and like learned it. It's got it's got a great it's got a really nice op opening. Ba -da -ba -da -ba -do -dee -da. Ba -do -ba -dee -da -ba -da. 
It's got these great like hits and stuff. Yeah, it's it's a pretty cool tune. That's the la- that's the last one that I learned actually. Cool. I have some time on my hands so right now, so I'm, I might be learning tomorrow then. Thanks it's for helping me to it. I I, have, I I might have listened to that record, but those early ones, those prestige ones, um, I have most I, most of them I think, but. I think I tend to listen more to the to the later stuff, you know, Atlantic and, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah Impulse, I mean, all, of course. All, it's all so great, you know. Mm. The Prestige stuff, there's so much of it that it's yeah. kind of hard. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of got to just like, <laughs> you know, I think in high school I had the box set. Mm. It's like this big, thick red box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fearless Leader or... or <laughs> Or maybe it was just prestige box. There's a Isn't it called heavy, Heavyweight Champion? That's the Atlantic one. That's oh, the Atlantic right. box. Okay. I think I think so. I had that too, and it had like alternate takes of giant steps and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, just like going through those box set of prestige. I mean, it's just like so many tunes, so many yeah. standards, a lot of lot of funny standards like um do i love you because you're beautiful <laughs> which is like one of the corniest tunes ever mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean on the face of it the way they play it it sounds great yeah. you would never know that it's from the musical cinderella mm. uh, i think it's from cinderella but i remember i once was curious about it and looked it up and the lyrics are literally do i Love you because you're beautiful. <laughs> or are you beautiful because I love you? <laughs> wow, okay. It's a, <laughs> and it's like, God, this is terrible. But mm. but they play that song. Mm. It sounds it sounds great. Red Garland, like he makes everything sound hip. Like <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, it's a lot it's a lot of stuff. I want you to take me through your obsession with Coltrane a little bit more into your process and um, into your way to make, yeah, to understand. You know, there's just, I think Ron Carter said um, about Wallace that Wallace was the one who uh, understood Miles's language the most. And that's yeah. something similar I could I could say about you about Coltrane, you know. Oh, um, that you wow. know, there's so many people who have incorporated things from him, but I don't know a lot of people that uh, you know understood him so so on a, on a such a deep level that you did. So I'm curious about oh. your process, and you could take it wherever you want, you know. Just I I, I want to know yeah. how how you. Yeah, what you did. Well, first of all, that's a very sweet thing to say. Thank you. <laughs> I like what you said earlier that it's like love. It's like like I never yeah. heard anyone say it like that, but that's I think that's that's true. You fall in love with something, and yeah, you want to know every you want to know every part of it. Yeah, and you really never going to know every part of it also mm. you know 
it's always going to be mysterious. And, um, but that's why you just keep obsessed with it. Yeah. Never, never ends. So that's definitely how I feel about his, uh, Coltrane's music. I think, um, I don't know. I think I listen. I listen to a lot of uh, Coltrane albums. I think one of the, my first favorite ones was My Favorite Things. It's a really magical, magical feeling. Uh, I was probably ten. Yeah, I was ten or eleven years old when I first was listening to that, and I didn't. I didn't know anything about music theory, and I barely knew anything about saxophone. So I didn't really understand what I was hearing. And it was like the magical experience, the magical sound of his uh, soprano sound. And the whole band, the harm, the, just the flow of it or something. There's some, especially about that, that song, my favorite things. It's just like, feels like a nature, mm. like a, it's almost like pastoral pastoral or maybe not yeah. pastoral but like a fantasy it's like a fantasy of some natural landscape in the future on another yeah. planet or something and it's so peaceful and also filled with interesting things to look at mm. <laughs> and um but like wow i really miss listening to coltrane and 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 not knowing music theory because i think <laughs> i i heard it so emotionally yeah back then yeah 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 and then the more you like try to to figure stuff out the more you discover it it's like you your mind the way you hear music changes mm. and then you're you're so focused on like you can't not hear the components and like your brain's trying to analyze it you know totally yeah so that's something that i've is really eerie for me is like I remember listening to Crescent a lot as like mm -hmm. a preteen, you know, like or maybe 13, 14 years old listening to Crescent and just it's like blowing my, my mind, you know, but yeah. then like 10 years, like, I don't know. Yeah. Like 10 years later, trying transcribing the Crescent solo. And then I was, I wanted to learn like every note of it, like everything. And I, I, I play and try to like play along with it play it and, and get you know try to like really figure out how how it works and then like i felt my i could feel in my brain something like really weird happening where i felt like i felt like i was almost like in this like i could hear the studio or something i could hear the <laughs> the space it was recorded in and like mm. i was like thinking so much about the the articulations used and the intonation which mm. i never thought about when I was 13, I was just always out of tune. And if other people were in tune, I didn't notice. I mean, it sounded great, but I didn't know that yeah. their intonation played a part. But I think like that's, as I get more into his music, I'm, I'm noticing like he uses intonation very, very purposely and like expertly, like tactically <laughs> in tune and then uses and then bends things mm. very purposely to create illusions mm. you know people talk about sheets of sound and how how fast he played but a lot of times he's it's not that fast it's like mm. he's he's lipping he's bending the pitch down a little bit with his throat 
And then, so if you slow it down, you'll notice like, wow, it's like really flat or it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of, it's kind of flat when he's like, woo, woo, woo. yeah. And so even if, even it is fast, but it's not unbelievably fast. Like you can, you, you can, can hear the pitches. All, you can hear all the pitches, but yeah. at that speed, when the intonation's down, your ear doesn't recognize every note. So that's why you hear it as a wash of sound yeah. versus like Michael Brecker plays really fast notes. They're all in tune. They're like pixelated. Like you can, <laughs> everything's perfect. And so like when you hear it, I mean, it's very impressive and, and it's so virtuosic, of course, like that everyone loves his Michael Brecker's playing, but it's not the same effect of like a wash an yeah. illusion sound that I hear Coltrane that that is so cool um it's like a i don't know it's like a swirl like a mm -hmm. whirl like yeah like like and i i just i just love that love that um but yeah it's it's a weird feeling like listening to those recordings back after really like trying to figure out what what's going on um because i hear them so differently and i'm, I'm yeah. really excited for like 10 years from now if I listen to them again, like what it will sound like, because I've just noticed like over the course of time, how much my own, like just, it's so hard to, it's so hard to explain in words, like what music sounds like mm -hmm. and how you feel music to other people. Mm. So sorry if I'm going on about this, but it is really as such a strange and cool feeling. But yeah, the one of the thing I, I, for investigating that, and learning about old trainers, I think I think people draw the periods in time, like his early period, middle period, late period. And yeah, that all makes sense, like academically, mm. but like actually, that's all one to me, and it's all it's all integrated. Yeah, like the, he played things at the end of his, you know, career, end of his life that were actually really a lot related to things he played way back when. Yeah, and and the, even like in the the speech, the way he the speech like way of playing mm. and speaking through an instrument in a way that I think no other saxophonist does that way that he does. Mm. Um, and even and on a technical level, like harmonic tendencies, like ways of just the note choices are very similar, like from giant steps to interstellar space. He's mm. still playing a lot of the same. Yep. Still working of, it out. He's still working on those changes. Yep. And people think it's like so free and it's so like, uh, it's so wild, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But it's also so logical, so structured, so detailed. It's like, it's all purposeful. It's not just like, um, Chance, it's not just, just yeah, something. It's, yeah. it's, it's not, you know, it's like, it, it makes a lot of sense. Mm. Um, like, so, but yeah, what I think is so powerful is the, that intellectually it's probably the most, you know, so it's all there. Intellectually it is as powerful mm. <laughs> and as deep as you could get. And uh, spiritually or emotionally, right. also, there's no real compromise between those 
two domains. And maybe, maybe it's an artificial dichotomy that people create this separation in the first place. Mm-hmm. Because like in school, you know, you learn technique, you know, you can teach that harmony. You can't teach someone to have feelings or care mm-hmm. about other people. Um, so maybe there is a, you know, dichotomy, but I think what I love about his, what I feel is truthful about his music is that he unites them. And it's like, it's like, there is no difference. There is Mm. no, there's no difference between intellect and spirit or being smart and caring about other people. Mm. It's like, it's all like you work on one and it enhances the other. Right. In a, in a, in a really powerful way. And that like, to me, conceptually, that's why I feel his music so strongly because it doesn't just never gives up in that, in that aspiration to do mm. both, um, things. That makes sense. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm going on a little bit. Please go on. Please go on. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, um, someone, people said stuff like, this is a different musician, like Maurice Ravel, we talked a little bit earlier, but like people called him like, oh, he's like a techno, techno, technical composer, or he writes like, People called him. They called him the watchmaker, the, the Swiss watchmaker. Like he's he's mm. like a ball about these puzzles and things, but I think that's that's really wrong too. Yeah. I feel like his music. I emotionally feel it so strongly. Yeah. And I feel like the aspect of technique and perfection. It's all to that aim, mm. to the goal of expressing something deeply personal and emotional. Yeah. And I feel like that that like in terms of musicians that we fall in love with or that I fall in love with, like it, it has to have that, like, I think that's why I fall in love with Coltrane's music, but also, and also, uh, Maurice Ravel's music. Yeah. It's like a really, it's like a really focused, um, and detailed effort, but it's, and it's also, it's just also so personal and it's, it's like, I just think there's not there's not many people like that like, mm. who have lived or it's really hard to to be a very special person, right? To make music that like that, so that's why I just want to keep studying, keep learning, like keep. That's why I don't want to like move on to like other compo- other things, you know. Um, of course, I do want to study other people, but I don't want to just like move on in the sense of like oh that's done like no like i that's figured like, it out now i just no like yeah. no one could no one could figure that out really yeah that's why i kind of want to kind of keep stay staying committed to like studying that that music because it's it just i don't think it just would never stop mm. being interesting and and you could always learn something from it were there times where you had to move away from him Where you said um, like ah, I'm no, not going to listen to him for at least a month or whatever, you know. Um, not really. Honestly, <laughs> I took I took breaks 
um, where I was just like really interested in something else yeah. for a while. But I was, I was still coming back to Coltrane and listening yeah. to his albums. I was never like, didn't listen to Coltrane for a month. I don't think that that's ever happened in my life. Yeah. I mean, since I started, <laughs> but like, um, yeah, I mean, also even within, within Coltrane, there's so many, you know, you could like, if you get, let's say you get sick of like listening to one period of Coltrane, you could go to some other part of it and it'd be for kind of really different and fresh. Mm. So I just think it's, it's just endless. And I just yeah. think it's pretty inspiring story, like his life and what he, it's just like a human, uh, like feet, like a human feet of imagined strength and uh, imagination, you know? Mm. Like I, I've watched a bunch of document, all the documentaries about Coltrane and stuff. The, the one that came out a couple years ago, the Chasing the Train. Yep. That one is like, that one's really good. Like, I mean, I think I even like cried during it because it was so. It's pretty good. It yeah, so, I, I liked it too. Although I have like, to say, it, I, I, I kind of neglects neglects the the later period of his life and music. I feel. You know, it's yeah. like basically. Yeah, he's amazing, and he became this thing, and you know, Love Supreme and Ascension. Yeah, and then he did some other stuff, which was kind of crazy. And you know, that I got that kind of vibe from it, you know, a little bit, which is what you hear from a lot of people, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think for I agree. That's I think I think he's been wronged. In a lot of ways, by his 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 history historians or musicologists, oh, yeah. whoever whoever writes books about Coltrane, they they've wrong they gave him a uh, wrong interpretation, in my opinion. Man, and I, I hope, just I, uh, hope in I, a, I just um, started reading this book by Ben Redliff about him, Story of a Sound. Story have of you, Sound. Yeah, yeah. Have you yeah, read, I read that? I, I like that one. You did? I, I stopped a couple of days ago because I felt like I'm not going to finish this. Why? Because Why? he does things that some critics do, which is um, have an opinion, <laughs> you know, have an opinion about what's good and what's bad. And that's something I don't want to read in a biography somehow. You know, I don't, I don't want, I, I kind of want to put off, you know, they can, put things into context. Yes. Yeah. But I, what I don't like, you know, what he said about the avant-garde, that album with Don Cherry and, you know, on his Coleman, he said, and then he made an unspectacular album with Don Cherry, you know, with on <laughs> Coleman's rhythm section. And then he played too much with Monk. And you can see the relation be between, you know, uh, you know, with this, you know, one recording of off minor, and then he plays it a couple of months huh. later, and then he's more at ease and doesn't play as much, and blah blah blah. You know, playing playing a lot was equated yeah. with bad, basically bad, 
and um, you know okay, stuff well, like that. So and I then that, I felt I like yeah, I shouldn't read this. You know, I don't I don't want to read this. Yeah, I read that book in when I was in high school, and I remember liking it because it had a lot of biographical detail in it. Yeah, like about his those parts I like too. Yeah, and I that's what I really liked about it. Like it it touched on some things that weren't. Um, I don't remember how opinionated he was about that stuff, but um, the way I see stuff like that is, you know, obviously he's wrong, <laughs> but <laughs> he's wrong. Um, but some of those, a lot of those uh, biographies are. Um, they're just good things. Well, I, I, I think they're good things to. Sure. Just the background, get background, you know, like. Yeah. Get background information, you know, and like a sense of the timeline of like how things happened. But I, I agree, like those opinion, those opinions are really wrong, and a lot of the opinions that people have made about Go Trainer just. Yeah, they're wrong, and I, I think a lot of the people that write those biographies, they're not really music. They're not really musicians, or they're not, you know. So, um, I don't think a, that they don't have to. Of, they don't have to be musicians to write a good book. Oh, I don't yeah, think yeah. that's that's um, that's the case, and I, I'm sure you agree, but. Um, It has to be with some critics. They are frustrated musicians and have certain knowledge about the music, which they will let you know in every sentence, you know, in every second sentence, which gets on my nerves. So I'm, I'm maybe I'm very, very receptive for any kind of material that goes into that direction, you know, where somebody's like, here, here's something I know, and I know when Coltrane is playing good and when he's not playing good, you know, and. Yeah. And he was like, also like, yeah, there, there we have a fully formed sound of Coltrane, and there, and there the sound isn't there yet, and whatever, you know. And I, I never feel huh. like, obviously, yeah, obviously like, he goes through what, a evolution, you, <laughs> you know. But we all have our sound built into ourselves. We can't help but, you know. Yeah. Um, Obviously, we can work on our sound, but we can we can we cannot change the the basic thing that is the fundament of our sound, which is which which obviously comes through our um, personality, but also physical you know physicality of the body. Obviously, you know, if I put down a key, yeah. I can't do anything about how. I can, you know, manipulate the the sound and the touch and the the the, you know, but I can change the way that my body is, you know, somehow. Yeah. Well, um, I have the Coltrane reference, that big book of all of his. Yeah, yeah. You know that one, right? Yeah, the big red. Yeah. It's like this big, and it's like got every day of his life. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit. It's a little bit absurd. It's overwhelming. It's, like, it's. 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 Yeah. It's. I think. Yeah. 
it's it's like devotion. It's that guy is devoted to culture. Yeah. The guy who did that book is like he's so devoted. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But yeah, sorry I interrupted you. What were you gonna say about, about it? Um, yeah, I, I didn't read it uh, fully, but I, I like to look into it, you know, and then follow kind of what he what he was up to, you know. And then when another sideman comes in or somebody else subs or whatever, you know, yeah. that's nice. I like stuff like that. And I think there's another one by Lewis Porter. I, I, um, yeah. I've ordered that one. So I'm, I'm waiting for, um, for that to, to, to arrive. I think that might be the, the best one the, of the biography, the best book. Yeah. That's like full train biography. I think that's the best one. I had another one that was called chasing the train. Mm. And uh, God, I actually don't remember who wrote it. Oh, by J.C. Thomas. That's right, another. Okay. That's another good book to check out. Mm -hmm. um, one of them, I forget. Maybe it's that one. Talks about his personal life in a really candid way, which was a little bit scandalous. I thought. <laughs> like how. And, I don't know. It, it had like a letter from his mistress or something, which to me seemed a little dubious. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I thought that's not really fair to put in a biography. Yeah. First of all, is that even real? Sure. Yeah. That, sure. And also, you know, it's kind of like, to me, it's like, whatever. It's, I just thought, I thought it was a little, too personal or I don't know mm. maybe it's like I don't know I wouldn't if, if you know it's hard to explain but it is interesting too like in a uh, yeah it's interesting trying trying to understand someone who's been dead for like so long Right. And then, but whose music is still really alive. I mean, mm. I think his music is really alive. Like a lot of people love his music and learn it and study it. Like, yeah. Um, but in terms of the human being part of like, who was this person, you know, that's, that's, that's like, I think it's kind of impossible. Mm. Sorry. Were there people who helped you make more sense of uh, Coltrane's music or his way of playing that who told you um, things that you weren't hip to yourself yet or maybe were you uh, that you weren't aware of? Who were people who were helpful in, in, in studying uh, that music? I definitely would say Dave Liebman. Yeah. Dave Liebman. I think he has a great knowledge, yeah. incredible knowledge of, of John Coltrane and mm. all the different ideas in it. I, th I think he, he's like a really good, he's someone who uh, can like express ideas really well 
in yeah. in speech and and writing too. He writes really well. Um, and he was actually there. You know, he was he saw he saw Coltrane. him at Vanguard. Yeah, yeah, like he was in the room listening to the real life John Coltrane. So I feel like that's an understanding that you and me will never really get. Like we well we can't like, but that's like. I would until, we, defer, until we until we build our time machine, yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, I would always defer to someone who was there in the room because they, yeah, they got to really like to feel that for real. So that's, and I remember he talking to him about how Ornette Coleman, um, or he was he was saying how Ornette Coleman influenced Train. Um, yeah, in a way that, and specifically, he said, I think I recall him saying that the chasing the train solo, you know, live at the Vanguard, that that's like fits into that influence of Ornette. Mm. And after he said that, and I listened to it, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because of the melt, the the way how how melodic it is, mm-hmm. and the and very like. I mean, it's a simplicity also. Yeah, the the like they're playing a blues, but he's he's playing triads. He's playing triads and also like G major scale, Mm. a lot like without the flat seven. Mm. You know, with like the leading tone. G major. Are you talking in B flat? I'm talking in uh, tenor key. So yeah, sure. It's F major. Sorry. Yeah. But like yeah, you just, a lot, some of the phrases, you know, it's mm. like it's all notes in the F major scale, mm. which you would say is, oh, that's not the blue, it's not like bluesy or whatever, you know, mm. in a, like in a superficial way, people think that would say that that's blues is like these, you know, altered notes of the scale or whatever. But there's something that's anyway. Sorry, I, it doesn't matter, but. But the way he, the simplicity of using that scale and something about it, yeah, it does really remind me of Ornette Coleman. I had to think so. of Ornette with Brasilia today also. Oh, huh. In terms okay, of, that, you know, you know, thinking about, you know, what's it called? Lonely Woman? Yeah, 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 yeah. That rubato kind of uh, feel. That makes sense. Anyways, you were talking about Dave Liebman and people who were helpful in understanding, yeah. helping you to understand Coltrane. Yeah, I think I think he, Dave Liebman has a lot of insight. A lot of insight. Um, who else? Well, my first teacher, uh, Dimitri LeMay, my first sax teacher, he introduced me really to Coltrane mm-hmm. and kind of like fed me different albums, you know. Um, so he just was really great, you know, mm-hmm. for introducing me to all like all kind of stuff and not just like the easy stuff, you know, like <laughs> like I remember us talking about really late like really like ascension and 
um, interstellar space. Mm. Even like when I was like 11 or 12, like being aware of those albums and like what they sounded like. And um, I think that's, sorry, this is like an offshoot from your question, but I think one of the, one of the things that I feel really lucky is like, I feel like people in my life, a lot of my teachers, they never like held back stuff from me. Mm. And we're never like, we'll start with, you know, Stella by Starlight and this and that. And then later you can, later you can hear this or later we can think about this or interstellar space or whatever, you know? Yeah. But like, of course, you know, you gotta learn like two basic tunes and like learn your major scales. Of course, like my Dimitri taught me all the major scales and stuff and we worked on that. (laughs) But then also he showed me like those, those, those albums that are really like, really really advanced stuff even when i wasn't able to just like understand it Mm. just being exposed to it i think was like really important for me yeah he also gave me a cd of uh vlado perlmutter playing um ravel piano like most of the ravel piano works when i was yeah 12 or 13 Mm. so like i feel like a lot of my tastes were kind of shaped by in a great way like influenced by what he showed me and he so i think yeah for if i if i ever taught someone who was that young i think it'd be really cool to like like you you should show them everything don't don't like try to decide for them what they what they're ready for or not you know that makes sense yeah um, yeah. but all right back to your, your question other people <laughs> other people who um well wallace right wallace too we talked a lot about he i remember he talking a lot about five at birdland like the i want to talk about you mm. solo and cadenza and pointing out to me certain things about this solo and how how it works and kind of like telling me you know check this out you know keep on listening like you know you should learn this basically you should transcribe your you should check this out and um yeah i remember him talking about phrasing i talked to him about phrasing and he had some really good ideas about that. Like where often he does this thing where before he plays a phrase, he anticipates it with a long note. And it'll be like, yeah. And this is very rudimentary. Yeah. I'm saying like often at the end of a chorus to set up the next chorus, he'll do that. And it's like the whole band right. knows exactly what to do. And mm. it's like unites or maybe it's at the end of a certain phrase, but like that, that really purposeful way of, um, yeah, I remember talking to, 
to Wallace about that. He, he said it was, it's hard to recall exactly what he said about it, but it's like a speech-like way and even, even like a rhetorical way of, of doing music, you know, mm. um, like repeating something at the beginning as a, as a way to mark things, you know. Or or the ending too. Sometimes like yeah, the ending. Well, of I wanted to, I, the same. I wanted to ask you about the endings. Yeah, the ending of the phrase. Some, sometimes it's like da ba da, and then ba da da You know, so like yeah. it's and and he would, we, he we would end our, the phrase with a, something like a very earthy and very down to earth, and yeah. and rootsy kind of yeah just simple thing that's something yeah that's something that was super helpful for me as well to to understand in those past years um like playing the most out of you know mo most out stuff you know but ending yeah. it with, with a very very uh down-to-earth thing yeah there's And there are certain solos where he um, yeah, I think like you know in, in like I think this is like a rhetorical thing that people sometimes do in church where they repeat the first line and then the last line has an an ending to it and it's like amen and right. then you say this other stuff and then you say amen again Absolutely. Or yeah. maybe you say like "Thank you, Jesus." Or, I don't know what you say. I'm I'm not I'm not a Christian, <laughs> but uh, but they have it in other religions too. I mean, it's like a thing where you you say the different text, then you repeat the last line. It's an affirmation, it's, I think it's called, right? Yeah. Something. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the. I'm sorry because I'm so ignorant about religion, <laughs> which religion does this, but <laughs> it's it, it's a thing that people. That uh, it's a very old way of people, you know, mm. speaking, and I think that's that's somewhere in there, you know. Mm. It's it's really it's it's really powerful. Yeah. Let's let's go back to the composing topic. Um, oh, yeah. You've, I really like your your little songbird thing with the thing from I think it, it's is it Miroise by. Ravel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, with Ravel, it's usually um, played very fast at little figure. But yeah, you yeah. take it and make that uh, a centerpiece of your of your composition. And that's yeah. it's so cool. I mean, I re I really like that piece. And is that something that you, you were talking about in terms of? Yeah, you can you can make it sound great on a th synth, but you don't know how to maybe do it with a band. In terms of rhythm, yeah. also because I mean, there's there's one moment, and I think it gets repeated or comes back in a different moment, where there's a certain groove that's been played by the drum computer or what, whatever you have programmed yeah, yeah. there. But it <laughs> seems like you you slow down everything in one moment you know yeah. what i mean everything seems to be very you know 
you know, in inside the the groove, you know. Yeah. But then the the musical um, information gets like you zoom out and you zoom in and you know everything gets in becomes super slow motion. Although the groove is happening there, I was wondering what you were thinking in in that moment. Yeah, I think I think what you're talking about is like after the main melody part is like over and there's like a transition to like a the second part is that, is that is that the part you're talking about i think so it's something where my mind at least can follow the the rhythm precisely as in before you know yeah 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 that's okay so that, that's exactly what I, i was talking about earlier of like ideas that i like to write and on a on electronic you know you know for this synth you know thing with a program drums but that i i worry would be really hard in real life because that that rip those rhythms when it feels like it's like zooming out like you said mm. i think i think what you're talking about is these dotted dotted rhythms where where dotted eighth notes mm. which is like in uh i don't know i guess i haven't really played that much of like modern Jazz. So maybe people use dotted eighth note a lot, but I haven't seen it that much. Like to me, it's a hard rhythm to, you know, if you're, if the, um, you know, ba da 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 It's like if you divide it by a, uh, let's say eighth note. Yeah, so eighth, what, how do I, what am I, sorry, I'm really struggling with this. Help me figure this out. So <laughs> a dotted eighth note is like a quarter note, but you took three fourths of the quarter note, right? I think that makes sense. Yeah, it's three sixteenth notes. Three sixteenth notes, right? So, um, We're saying the same the thing. Reason, yeah, yeah. So then if you have a bunch of them in a row, like, it's a little bit, it, it is like slowing tempo because you're just playing the eighth notes of before, but they're like one fourth longer, right? Yeah. Like your one half becomes a three quarters. Mm. But the way that your hears it is like, you hear it as the same rhythm, just elongated. Or I th I, this is how I think of it. Mm. Um, but it, it gets a little confusing because then you got three sixteenths and then you add another one and then you got six and then nine. And, you know, it's like it'd be easy to like lose to shave off tempo somewhere. It'd be, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It'd be easy to get confused. And, um, and it just seems a little cumbersome, honestly, to try to do that. With uh, even the yeah, but the thanks thanks for bringing up that 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 tune. That is that is something I want to um, write out and play. Yeah, yeah, you should, you should. It's a, it's a great first, song. That's, that's that's like something that I would imagine that that I I can play it. But then when I have to write it down, I just dread it because it's it's always like harder to write out than it always. Like I, I would write music that I would always want to play something that 
feels natural. Sure. And it should but sometimes sound we have to get to to the unnatural part to make that part of our language, and to make that yeah, part of our sound. You know, that's if we only play what's natural, we're gonna stay in one place. And if we, you know, at some point we have to make the thing that feels unnatural, make that as best as we can feel natural to us. So we extend, we extend the vocabulary. Yeah. I right. Think I mean. That's, that's what, what everybody with, right uh, now. Yeah. I think that's, that's what everybody our of our heroes that's what they did, you know. They've yeah. looked at something that has been done before, but then they they're like, yeah, I know that now or I know a lot of it about it now. Now I'm going to try to use this on something else. Um A thing that that was helpful for me, one of my teachers said, like, um, if you write something down, may it be a composition or a transcription or whatever, um, yeah, be as precise as possible and as as loose as necessary. So it's a matter of judgment also, you know, you know, how precise do you have to be really? But if you can come close to what it is, you know, go for it. But if it's, yeah. if there's still some room for argument or room for, you know, X, whatever, you know, let it be, don't be too, it's basically having it balanced, you know, how much of that, great arrangement that you've done of that song of your song how much of it doesn't really have to be on paper that's the question you know i guess yeah. and if you it if you would play that for a drummer maybe he would you know if you just play it for him the recording yeah maybe take out the drum part <laughs> yeah <laughs> because then he can find his own thing and it, and it might be less complicated in a way, you know, it might be more accessible for him to find something. Um, yeah. But I really like that, you know, taking one little idea, one little motive and making that the, the base of, of, of your compositional search, because that's what it sounds like. It sounds like you're, you're searching something. Yeah. I think that 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 one that one pattern from uh, I, help me with the pronunci pronunciation. It's sad birds in French. We we saw triste. It's it's so yeah. I can't. Yeah yeah yeah. But it's, it's like, isn't, it means, isn't it from Miroir that the song cycle? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. But that that movement is called. Um, it's so hard to say. L'oiseau triste. Yeah, was which is uh, sad birds. Yeah, in English or or sad bird, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure, but um, that that one motive. But da da da. Um, I used to practice it a lot because it's it's one of those things where every interval in it is different. It goes up a fifth, up a major third, down a second, and then down a fourth. So say every again. interval. Say again, please say again. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah, it goes up a fifth. So like, just in any key, it's like D to A, then C sharp, so up a major third, then down a major second to B, and then down a perfect fourth to F sharp. Right, yeah. That's also a great so voicing every... if you put those notes together. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's very harmonic. So, yeah, very, totally. And and I think what works, why why I want to hear it again and again in that piece by Ravel is because every interval in it is different, is distinct. Mm. Um, at least for that first part. Then it goes, but the the first part, every every part of it is, every movement is different than the one that happened before. So in that way, I think is like, not to be like overly analytical, but I think it is part of what, it's not like a pattern. It's a, it's really a, anyway, yeah. sorry, it's hard, it's hard to explain my idea, why I like, like this idea so much. But, um, so I used to just practice the pattern, just transposing it, you know, and then do it, yeah. you know, diatonically in a scale, you know, major scale. Try it. And it's so beautiful. Like, it's yeah. just so. Um, so I always, like, wanted to write a tune with that melody in it. Because, like, as a tribute, you know. or Sure. Because uh, it's, I just, I love that melody. So. Um, there you go. Love. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 the end of everything. I mean, that's <laughs> I think. Or the start. So like the, yeah, yeah, or the. It's the reason for doing things. Mm. Like if I think of like a good reason to do something. Um, that's that's a good reason. Yeah. But thank yeah, thanks for putting it that way. That's a really nice way of saying it. Oh, my God.